All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Go ahead and pull them out. Um, you're gonna, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you did not bring a Bible, you, you left your Bible at home or in the car, there's a Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. There's a blue Bible down there. Go ahead and pull that out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is on page 1070. 1070, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. All right. Got a little bit of a cold this morning, so just bear with me. Second Corinthians chapter 8. We are finishing our series called After 10 Years this morning. This is our last Sunday in this series after 10 years. And so far, what we've been talking about, kind of the thesis of this series, the idea is, is that every single human being has a picture in their mind, a vision of what the future will look like for you, right? We, we have hopes and dreams of the future, and oftentimes those hopes and dreams are um, maybe a little unhealthy. Sometimes they're very healthy, right? If, if you say, what are the top five hopes for the future of my life? Five years out, 10 years out, 30 years out, whatever that, whatever that is for you. What, what do I hope for my life to be like? What are just five things that, if, man, if God would so bless me, I would trade everything else to get these five things. Usually when we actually focus in that way, those five things become the healthier things. The healthier things rise to the top. And those five things are things that we often have in common with, with people around us, especially um, if we're followers of Jesus, right? Our relationship with Jesus is going to be on that list. And we talked about that. Our marriage, if, you, if you're married or might be married in the future, is going to be at the top of that list. And we talked about that. Our family is going to be top of that list. Relationships are going to be top of that. Finances are going to be top of, on the top of that list. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about um, engaging financially in the present moment. What we've said the whole time, kind of the, the, the big idea for the whole time is, um, we cannot guarantee those future hopes. We cannot control those future dreams. And so we must invest well in the present moment if we're ever, if we're ever going to stand a chance of getting there. You do not stumble into a healthy marriage. You work moment by moment every day, sacrificially laying your life down for your spouse. spouse. And then 10 years out, man, if God gives you that time, you have a healthy marriage, right? You don't stumble into that. The same is true in finances, right? Um, you, don't, you don't stumble into um, a life marked by uh, wisdom and generosity. Um, you, just, you, you have to work in the present moment. You must begin to engage now, and everybody knows that, right? If you, don't, if you do not invest now, you don't stumble into wealth later, unless I guess, okay, you could win the lottery. All right, fair. Um, but even then, but even then, you wouldn't stumble into a life of generosity. You wouldn't stumble into that. And the reality is, is that you would look back 10 years and you would have all kinds of regrets. You'd have all kinds of regrets. Regrets of mismanaging and hoarding and spending things on things that you didn't need, things that you didn't even really want, but something in you in that moment, you're like, this is going to fulfill, and it didn't fulfill. We've all done that. We've, we've, all, we've all made purchases where we're like, ah, it doesn't feel good anymore. Like in the moment, it was like, yes, this is right, this is right, this is right. And funny, after our last gathering, I was talking to Binger. Binger used to be a, a youth pastor. Um, and we talked about how when you're in like junior high, high school, in your little junior high, high school brain, there's things that seem so unbelievably right. Like, this is right. This is right. And then it happens. And you're like, that was 100% wrong. Like, what? Why did I do that? Like, I just destroyed this thing that I love. And it's, it's gone. It's over. Right? In our adult brains, we're doing the same thing. Right? It's just on a different scale. Right? Rather than like, throwing water balloons at some, you know, senior citizen. Um, we are, that was actually the example that we were talking about earlier. Um, happened, real life. Uh, 
we, we are, we're, we're spending large amounts of money, and we're thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to fulfill. This is going to be perfect. And then, and then we wake up the next day, and we're like, man, that didn't fulfill. That doesn't, that doesn't feel good. It's not right. It's not okay. Why did I do that? Right? We must invest well in the present in order to kind of wake up 10 years from now and say, man, I don't really have any regrets when it comes to my finances. I've invested well. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, a passage of Scripture where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he's writing them, telling them what's been going on in other churches. This, this, this unbelievable generosity and financial investment that other churches have been doing for the sake of other churches. They, they have been uh, sacrificially giving for the sake of other churches, these churches in Macedonia. Macedonia is a region. Um, at that time, was a, was a region, um, kind of northern Greece, modern-day Bulgaria, um, that, that kind of region of the world, north of, of Greece. The churches of Thessalonica, the churches of Philippi would have made up some of these churches that Paul is talking about. And so we're going to pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Um, and if you would, if you are there, uh, kind of out of, out of reverence of the, to the word of God, if you would stand with me as I read this for us this morning. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, um, and he is saying, hey, we, we need to raise money. We need to live generous lives because there's other churches that are suffering financially, and they need help. Let me tell you about some churches that have already stepped up and have already engaged and are already giving to this mission, to this vision, to help these other churches. But what's interesting is he does not say, talk about the amount of money that they've given. In fact, he doesn't even reference the fact that it is money. If you look at the first verse, this is what he says. In verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He doesn't say money, but that's what he's talking about. He says, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among these churches in Macedonia. 
Paul, Paul creates a direct correlation between a financial investment, a wise financial investment, um, in the grace of God. Paul says, man, when, when, when we experience the grace of God in our lives, when, when we are understanding and seeing clearly how unbelievably gracious God has been to us, we are wiser with our finances. We no longer believe in our minds that we can control it. We know because we experience the grace of God. The grace of God reveals to us that that's an absolute lie. We cannot control this thing, right? It reveals to us that we love it too much. It reveals to us that it will never actually fulfill the way that he can fulfill. And so we release our grasp on it and we begin to manage it better because we're not loving it as much. We're not spending it unwisely in the present moment, but rather we're investing it well over our lives, and it, God is producing this in them. God is giving them this grace, and he's producing with grace a, an abundance of generosity. Grace, he's making them spiritually rich, and out of their spiritual richness, they're becoming financially generous. As they're experiencing more grace in their lives, they're becoming more generous with their time, their talent, and Paul specifically here talking about their finances, their wealth. As we experience more of the grace of God in our lives, the more we let go of the things of this world and cling more to him. Now, it's not because, it is not because um, they have a lot to let go of. Now, I think that's, that's part of this thing. We think in our minds, well, yeah, of course, the more I have the grace of God, I, the more I can let go of. Um, but it's not because they have a lot to let go of. They're, they're not letting, letting go of a little and keeping a lot. They're letting go of a lot. And Paul references that in the next verse, in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In a severe test of affliction, they're going through, the churches of Macedonia are going through some type of suffering, some heavy Suffering. Paul is not specific other than the fact that we know it's severe. There, there's severe persecution happening in these churches. And in the midst of their severe persecutions, you got to use your imagination a little bit on what they're going through. In the midst of their severe persecution, they're experiencing the grace of God in their lives. And so therefore, even in pain, even in brokenness, even in severe affliction, there is an abundance of joy. And in this abundance of joy, in this extreme poverty, is the language Paul uses, abundance of joy and extreme poverty is overflowing into extreme generosity. Extreme poverty and an abundance of joy overflows into extreme generosity. Now, how can you be extremely generous and extremely poor? How does that work? Most of us think, um, in our minds, at least I have, man, when I make this much money, now I don't know what that number is for you, it's different for every person in the room, it's different for you than it is for the person sitting next to you. When I make this much money, then, then I will be more generous and I'll make wiser investments. But right now, I got bills to pay, and so I can't, I can't do that, I gotta get here. And most of us that's in the room 
have had that number in our minds in the past, and many of us in the room have that number in our minds today, right? Maybe for you it's not an amount of money that you make. Maybe it's when I get my savings account to here, then, then I can be more generous, and then I will make better financial investments. Or, or maybe when I pay off these debts, then, then I'll be more generous and I'll make wiser financial investments. That is absolutely not true. You've misunderstood generosity. I, I'm sorry, but you, you don't understand just basic, basic generosity 101. It, it doesn't work that way. It's one of the great lies of money. Um, they're, they're, money lies to us constantly, constantly. It is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is corrupting our hearts and lying to us. And one of those lies is that when I have more, then I will release more. I will save more. I will give more. That is absolutely not true. The more you have, the more you want. The more you want, the more you spend. The more you spend, the more you want. The more you want, the more you, um, the more, the more you spend. The more, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a cycle that never ends. I know people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and they don't have enough money. It's just the reality of it. That's not how it works. There are people who are unbelievable, have unbelievable amounts of money and have no understanding of generosity. And there are people who are broke or so poor and are unbelievably generous with their money. How can this be? How can their, how can their extreme poverty overflow into extreme generosity? How can somebody who is extremely poor be extremely generous? Well, Jesus taught this lesson to his disciples, actually. Um, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is in the temple. And in the temple, there's a box where people are putting in their money. And Jesus pulls up a chair and sits down across from this box and begins to watch every single person put in their money, which is a little weird, all right? But this is what he does, all right? And Mark writes about this story. In Mark 12, verse 41, it'll be up here on the screens for you, um, but you can flip there if you'd like. Mark 12, verse 41, and he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many, many rich people put in large sums. Verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny, two little half pennies, two little copper coins. And Jesus calls his disciples over to him. And he says to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. How can you be extremely poor and yet extremely generous? Jesus says, this is how it works. Fellas, come over here. Let me show you something. This woman has put in more than all of them. Not, 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 not more than that rich guy or that rich guy. No, no, more than every other person who put in any money, she has put in more. But she's only put in two small copper coins. Literally a penny. Jesus says, but that penny, that penny represents 100% of what she had to live on. For Jesus, generosity is not about an amount of money. It's about a percent of sacrifice, a percentage that we give. And he says, this woman said, I give 
I treasure, I value, I care for something far more than I care about this money. And if I cannot feed myself, if I cannot clothe myself, if I cannot provide shelter, I treasure something more than I treasure those things. And so she puts in 100%. And the reality is, friends, the reality is when it comes to generosity, poor people are almost, almost, always more generous than rich people. Almost always. In fact, in fact, always. Poor people are always more generous than rich people because it's about a percentage, not an amount. And you must understand this. If you are going to look back at your life 10 years from now and be like, man, I don't, I don't have any regrets. I, I was generous. I didn't cling to the things of this world. I didn't allow money to corrupt my heart. I, I, I released my grasp on it. I invested wisely. I made right investments in the present moment. You must understand this idea of a percentage, not an amount. Percentage, not an amount. And there's three buckets in which we live in. Three buckets. The first is our present moment, our present spending. And what we've said all along in every category, whether it's your marriage, your kids, your relationship with Jesus, or your money, the present, the present is extremely important. This is a crucial moment. You must, you must set a percent here. What is the percent I'm going to spend in the present moment? The reality is, you don't know what that number is. You don't know. Because we don't do this. We, we don't do this. Some of you are hardcore type A budgeters, right? I mean, you, you are like Dave Ramsey, crazy. I got it all mapped out, Excel spreadsheets. It is, and that's, it's amazing. And you know where every single dime goes. You know the amounts, but what is the percent? You might be able to guess and get in the ballpark on what that percentage is. But you don't know the exact percent of your income that you are spending in the present moment. So not only do we spend in the present moment, and we all do this, you have to. You have to, you have to spend in the present moment, right? Uh, we got bills to pay. Now we got to keep the, you got to keep the, the, the lights on. We got to pay our rent or our mortgage. We got to put gas in the car, food on the table. And there's fun things too, right? We're doing fun things in the present moment. Um, we're, we're, we're going on vacations. Today I'm taking my family. We're going to Lagoon today. We're going to do, we're going to spend money in the present for fun stuff as well. We're always, always, always doing this. And we must set a percent on this. And the lower you go in the present moment, the better the future is going to be. This is, this is simple investing 101. This is, this is not complex. It sounds like you're like, wait, what? You want me to spend less and for, 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 have a better future? Yes. Yeah, the lower you can get the percent in this bucket, the better it's going to be for you in the future, right? Because if you can get this percentage somewhere between 50 and 80% of the money that's coming in, right? Now, some of you say 50%. That's crazy. I'm telling you, 50% is amazing. It'd be amazing, right? Because if you, if the lower you can get, the more you are investing in the future, right? And those are the next two buckets, right? We have a future investment and an eternal investment. And the lower we can get this number, the higher we can get these numbers. And these are investments. These are investments. Now, when we think about future savings, we think about investing, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's a, a retirement. Maybe that's a saving for college. Maybe it's a, in my house, we have a, we have a car savings. 
because they don't last forever. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not. And they're expensive. And so we have, we have medical savings um, because that's also expensive and you can never predict when it's going to happen. Um, and so we have different savings accounts that we're putting money into um, in, the future, in the present moment for future moments. And the, le- and the more we can get out of this one, the more we can put into these. But when it comes to the eternal investment, the problem is we don't often think of that as an investment, okay? We throw a few bucks in the offering plate maybe or throw a few bucks to um, uh, feed my starving children thing, but that's more like tipping, right? It's like tipping God. I don't really think about it. I just throw a few bucks in, right? An investment is something you think about. You process, you plan. How am I going to strategize my present spending in order to invest more in eternal, to see more happen in eternity, to see eternity influence more in the present? How am I going to do that with my finances? Very few of us actually think that way, but this is actually how it works. And the lower this goes, the more these get. And so here's the reality. 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That means this bucket is at 100% for almost 80% of the people in this room, okay? That's just reality. That's just what I know. 80% of us in this room are putting 100% in here and zero here and zero there. And so let me challenge you. If that's true of you, okay, or, or, or maybe you're like, no, 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 I, 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 save, I save a few bucks here and a few bucks here. If you don't know the percentage, you don't know the percentage, let me challenge you. Sit down with your budget. We're going to do this Wednesday night. we got a Wednesday night gathering right here. You can sign up online. We're going to kind of do, do a little budget boot camp. Get this to at least 80%. Don't be higher than that. I promise you. I promise you. Listen, you're going to make more money in the future. You're going to get a raise. You're going to get a, you're going to get a promotion. And this is, this, is, this is going to increase. It's, just going to, it's going to go up. And you're going to be like, this is amazing. I'm making more money. There's more money to spend. It's going to get better and better and better and better. But ultimately... You're going to be putting more away here and investing more here. So the first thing we do every single month, we put 10% here, 10% here, and you get to live on 80%, 80%. And 10 years from now, you look back and you say, man, I lived wisely. I invested well. Now, maybe you can get it down to 60%, and you're putting 20 here and 20 here. But if you do not do that, first thing, it ain't going to make it. It doesn't make it there, Okay. This is why everything that we do, at least in my family, is online, and it's automatic. All of our, my money it automatically gets taken away from me, right? Because it, my heart is wicked, friends. I'm telling you. Um, maybe you're better than I am. My heart is wicked. And, and, and if I let that touch my heart, I, it just turns to greed, and I'll spend it on things that I don't need, okay? It's just the reality of money. And so it automatically goes into savings and it automatically goes into an eternal investment. Automatically. I, I, don't, I don't want to have, to have to be the one to do it. Now, some of you um, do. Some of you, are, some of you are faithful and you, can, and you can manage that. I'm telling you, I can't. I can't. And so the first thing that happens every single month automatically comes out of here, automatically goes in there. Automatically comes out of here, automatically goes in there. And I know that 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and say, man, we invested well. We invested well. We lived, we lived on what we actually needed according to our means. And this is what Paul is actually saying is going on in Macedonia. Believe it or not, this is exactly what he's talking about. This is what he writes. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, back in 2 Corinthians, verse 3. For they gave according to their means. As I can testify, and beyond their means... 
of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, Paul says, man, they, they lived and they gave according to their means, right? They said, what is the smallest amount, the smallest percentage that I can live on? I'm going to give according to my means. I'm going to live and give according to my, our means, right? It's not hard. It's not simple. It's, it, it's so simple, right? They just said, man, we're going to live well here in the present moment, and we're going to give well here in the present moment. We're going to invest our lives in things that are eternal, not in the things that are temporary, but then, but then something changes. Paul says, man, they, they lived and give according to their means. And he says, and even more than that, even greater than their means, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and, and begging us that they might give more. They say, man, maybe I can cut this down. Maybe, maybe for the next month or so, I can get rid of some of this here. I can live on an even a lower percentage, and I can give more to this great need that's going on in these other churches. Let's do that. Something, something changes and shifts in their hearts. Because I'm telling you, these are, these are not wealthy people. The percentage that they're living on is very very small amount of money. And so for them to say, no, 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 we can actually cut this down. We can live on less, okay? Something has to change. Something has to, uh, they must treasure something more than they treasure um, the basic necessities of life. We're not talking about wealthy people. There's something that they treasure more than they treasure basic needs and basic necessities. They say, we can live without things that we actually need for a season of time in order to meet this, other, this need that is an eternal investment. And here's what happens. Verse 6, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. We want Titus to do the same thing in Corinth that is happening in Macedonia. We want this act of grace, this generous grace, to happen in Corinth as well. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul says, church in Corinth, you're followers of Jesus. You want to grow. You want to grow in your relationship with him. You want to grow in your knowledge of him through, through the reading and understanding of his word. You want to grow in your love and affection for each other. You want to grow in kindness towards each other. You want to grow in a gracious, graciousness of speech towards each other, that your words might not be harsh but be loving. I want you to grow in this act of grace as well. Paul says it's all grace. Every good thing that is produced in our lives is the grace of God. If my words are kind, it is the grace of God in my life. If I, if I sit and I study the word, it is the grace of God in my life. If he reveals his word to me and I grow in knowledge, it is the grace of God in my life. If I let go of the treasure of this world and treasure him more, it is the grace of God in my life. 
Paul says, what I long for, what I want to see happen in Corinth is the grace of God move through that church and produce wiser stewards of money who invest well in eternity. That's what I want to see. I want to see more grace of God in the church in Corinth. How does this happen? What does this look like? Paul says this in verse 8. I say this not as a command. I'm not commanding you to give more money. I'm not commanding you to do that. Here's what I'm saying. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I want you to show the world that you love something more than you love money. I want you to show your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers, the other saints, the other churches, that you love something more than you love money, that you treasure something more than you treasure the trinkets of this life. More than you treasure something, more than you treasure stuff and what money can afford you, what money can buy you. Do you want to know if you treasure something more than you treasure the things of this world? What's the percentage? Tells you everything you need to know. Jesus says where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. If you treasure the things of this world more than you treasure Christ, that number will be high. It just will. It's simple. It's basic. This is not complicated. This is 101. Paul says, I want the church in Corinth, I want you to show the world that there's something far more valuable than wealth and riches and finances. I want you to demonstrate to the world. I want you to declare that you treasure Christ above all else. That's what I long for because he treasured you. Verse 9, for you know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus modeled this for us. He laid down his life. He laid down his wealth. He laid down his riches. He steps out of glory and into poverty. He steps out of uh, fame and steps into brokenness and sorrow and despair. He steps out of holiness and takes on the sin of this world. And he goes to the cross and he bleeds out so that you might become unbelievably rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in holiness, rich in eternal riches, that you might walk with him forever. He became poor so that you would become rich. He has modeled this for you. And so he's saying, listen, we should become poor so that others become rich. We should not cling to the things of this world, but cling to Christ and we must use these things to help others who are in need. Christ saw your need, and he laid down his riches in order to meet that need. He became poor to meet your need. Let's be like Christ, and let's treasure him above the things of this world, is what Paul is saying. Do you understand, do you know the unbelievable, incomprehensible grace that God has generously bestowed upon us in Christ? When we, when we become a people who see the beauty of the gospel and the full weight of the gospel, we no longer be, be a people who just kind of, kind of throw some money at God every now and then, whether that's here in the church or whether that's in um, a parachurch uh, organization or a missions organization. We no longer just kind of throw a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. No, no, no. We become a people who say, how am I going to invest well, I no longer need these things. These things are meaningless compared to Christ. We begin to beg, beg that we could give more, beg that, that we could be a part of what God is doing in our community and around the world. 
And the reality is, friends, the reality is, there's no greater investment. There is absolutely no greater eternal investment than the local church. It is God's plan. His, he has structured it and built it. It is his plan for, the, for hope and salvation of the world to bring justice and mercy um, to our communities, to bring the gospel, to bring redemption to the world. It is his plan. And so we invest well in the local church. This is what Paul is calling the church to do. He says, look, the churches must sacrifice in order to meet the needs of other churches. Let's lay down our lives and become more like Christ in order to help others, in order to invest in the church. And the beauty is, you look at, you look at what, what God is doing right here at Flourishing Grace. And we can use us as an example because we've seen it, right? In the past year, we've seen it. We've, we've seen um, 10 people in the past six months have been baptized here at Flourishing Grace Church. They've given their lives. They've walked across the line of faith. Um, they, they've given their lives to Christ, and they've declared that to you all right here. They said, man, I, I'm all in for Christ. God is doing a work, an eternal work in our lives. We've begun to build partnerships, local partnerships, in order to engage justice in our communities, right? We, we, we built a partnership with... Um, Foxborough Elementary, help, helping the families and the kids there who are in need. We build, we're building partnerships across the world. We're investing in local churches in India, right, through Local Church Catalyst. We literally sent a team a few months ago and said, hey, can we build, let's finance, fund, and build a building for a church that has no place to gather. And we did that. And we also built uh, wells for them to have clean, safe drinking water that the pastors can be in control of and give clean water to the villages and, and then share the gospel with them in the process. It's an amazing work that the local church is doing. And so but I, what I don't want you to hear is this. I don't want you to hear, all right, Josh wants us to give more money. No. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We will never preach a sermon on money in order to gain more money. That is not what we do here at Flourishing Grace. It's not what we're going to do. I want you to treasure Christ more. There's a number of things this year that we've said no to because of finances. Uh, the reality is I know that most of us, most of us, the majority of us, are not doing this. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. And what it declares is where Christ is in our hearts and in our lives. Over the past year, there's been things that, that, we've, that have come up that we've said, man, we really want to um, be able to afford this, but we, but we can't. We can't. Um, a big one. I'll, I'll give you a couple big ones. Um, we said a year ago, almost a year ago, hey, look at how amazing our fifth and sixth grade ministry is. Our fifth and sixth grade ministry is booming. We had to move them out of one class and move them into another. Um, and they're actually now outgrowing that class. But when it comes to seventh through twelfth, we're struggling. We said, what would it look like if we could hire um, a man or a woman who would missionally engage um, into the local high schools and junior highs here in South Davis County and create and build an eternal investment into high schoolers and junior hires? and actually go out and create after-school events and engage them and share the gospel with them and bring them in um, and help them to see the gospel more clearly and love Jesus all the more. And so far, we financially, we've just been like, well, we, can't, we cannot do that. We don't have the means to do that yet. Um, there's been some things around the building, right? South stairwell leaks, north stairwell leaks, 
Everything leaks. It's an old place. What are you going to do? We got roofs. We got roofs that need to be patched, ceilings that need to be fixed up where there's some water damage. But so far we said, you know what? Uh, the mission is so much more important. What, what's going on right now is so much more important. One thing is we want to be a church that plants churches. This is a big one for me. This is on my heart, heavy on my heart. We want to be a church that plants churches, that plants churches, that plants churches. And behind the scenes right now, we are working diligently to plant more churches. Not just in India, right here, South Davis County. The reality is when you go to Farmington, Kaysville, Fruit Heights, that area, there are literally, there's, there's no flourishing, gospel-centered, Jesus Christ-driven churches um, that are just doing an amazing work there. It doesn't exist. You know what does exist? 30, 40% of our people live there. Let's send them. And so we're doing everything we can behind the scenes to, to, to create that, to build that. But so far financially, we're like, wow, I can't quite do that. Because our people, many of our people are not living here. But at the same time, at the same time, in the same breath, if nothing changes, no one gives another dime more to flourishing grace, right? No one, no one treasures Christ more. We're fine. So keep the lights on. Keep the AC running, hopefully. It's getting old. They just told us this week. Um, half of our staff raises their salary. Half of our staff raises half of their salary. Because they care about the mission and the vision far more than they care about money and finances. Keep going just fine. Keep baptizing people. Keep reaching kids. Keep reaching families. Keep engaging. Uh, keep, 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 keep helping churches in India. We keep doing all the things we've been doing. We're fine. It's great. It's amazing. It's amazing. What I long for is not more money. What I long for is people who treasure Christ more. Treasure Christ more. And I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if the people who call Flourishing Grace Church home treasure Christ more than they treasure the things of this world, selfish desires, selfish ambitions. We lay those down and we say, Christ, it is all for you. Not only, not only will we financially be able to do anything we want to do, not only will we be able to go anywhere God calls us to go and plant churches that plant churches that plant churches, um, there will just be an absolute air in this room of kindness and grace and mercy and love for each other. And not one person, not one saint in Christ in this space will ever spend a day in need because we're caring for each other. We're reaching out to other families right here sitting in this room who are in need and saying, man, we got that covered. We never have to say no when a mom can't keep the gas bill on because our people are experiencing the grace of God in their lives. And that's my prayer. When it comes to financial stewardship, it's all about the grace of God. What I long for is that you would experience more grace of God in your life so that in the present moment, um, you would release your grasp on the things of this world and cling all the more tightly to Christ. That he would become your value, your treasure, your hope, your security, your identity. Everything would be wrapped up in him, not stuff and finances. We cling to him. Say, I don't need those things. And so I'm going to invest them well in the present moment. And 10 years from now, 
we look back and we say, man, I'm in great shape and look at all that God has done. I'm telling you, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, man, look at all that God has done through the people of Flourishing Grace. I believe in you guys. And more than you guys, I believe in what Christ is going to do in through you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, my heart is wicked. Our hearts are wicked. We confess. We love things more than we love you. Not just finances, not just stuff. We love our security. We love being right. We love comfort. Not just physical comfort, but even emotional comfort. great lovers of self. And so we make compromises in the present. Choose to do our own thing. Go our own way. Rather than dig in and fight to serve, fight to love, fight to care for each other, fight to invest more, fight to make right what has gone wrong, we give up. We begin to cling the things of this world and treasure the things of this world. I pray, I pray you would help us to be a people who cling to you and you alone. Pick up our cross every single day when it comes to the things that we love, that we be people who are constantly thinking about the things that we love. Help us to think, man, what am I loving today? What part of me am I loving today more than I'm loving Christ? Help us pick up our cross when it comes to our pride. Help us pick up our cross when it comes to our comfort. Help us pick up our cross when it comes to our future hopes and dreams. Help us pick up our cross when it comes to our finances. Help us pick up our cross when it comes to our marriages and our families and our kids and our friendships. Help us pick up our cross when it comes to the people in this room. Let us become poor for the sake of others. Not just financially, but in all areas. Let us lay down those things and not cling to those things so that we might be more like you and treasure you all the more, that the world around us might know there's something far greater than the things of this world. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. I praise you in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.